Today on Walk in Truth, we have a guest speaker we affectionately call Coach, Pastor Chris Van Hook, and he's going to be talking to us about having a prophetic worldview. What is that? Well, it is a view. It's living your life in light of the second coming, in light of the day of the Lord. It motivates you to live the right way when you know your Lord is coming and you know that you're going to meet him and there's going to be an accounting for how you lived and what you did. And there's going to be a reward that goes with it. Well, Pastor Coach Chris Van Hook will tell us more today on Walk in Truth. Welcome to Walk in Truth with Michael Lance. Walk in Truth is a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. And now, here's Pastor Michael. Peter is saying that in this age, the age called the last days, there will be those who mock the prophecies of the return of Christ. And remember, he's been writing about false teachers throughout this letter, right? And those false teachers were not just people outside the church. Remember Pastor Michael said? They are inside the church as well. And I think he's saying the same thing right here. And I could certainly say that there are people in the church today who mock the return of Christ. What a sad statement. So what are these people saying? Well, they're paraphrasing it. They're going to say, hey, come on. People have been saying for years and years and years that Jesus was going to come and it hasn't happened. They've been saying it for 2,000 years and it hasn't happened. And they've been saying it a lot since the 1970s. And it hasn't happened. It's not going to happen. Why do they do this? What's their motivation? Well, Peter tells us. He says it's because they want to follow their own lustful desires. What he's saying by that is they really don't want God getting in the way of what they want to do. And think about it. If they believe that Jesus was returning soon, and if I believe that, Hey, I might want to get ready for that. And it, it means I might have to change some of the things I do and the things I say and the way I act. But they didn't want that. They wanted to follow their own lustful desires. Now, in verse 4, it says that these mockers make an argument. And their argument is this. All continues as it has from the beginning of creation. All continues. In other words, everything remains the same, just continues on as it has from the beginning of creation. Now, I find it really interesting. Do you realize that that's the same argument that evolutionists use? It's their basic foundational principle. Anybody know what that's called? It's called uniformitarianism. Everything has uniformity to it. All things just remain the same. And so much of the bad information that they pour out there is because they start with this. Would this be correct, Professor Joe, a presupposition? That everything remains the same from the beginning. Now, they wouldn't say from creation, but from whatever happened, their Big Bang or whatever they're thinking these days. And they would say it stays the same. Now, why do they say that? Well, because they say, from observation, what we've seen, we've never seen some major event that would cause things to be different. It always just continues the same. Now, that's interesting. I mean, how long have they been around? You know, we're, 
you know, have you, are you 10 billion years old like you say the whole earth is or whatever it is these days? I don't know, it's 500 billion, whatever. How do you know that? And what they're really saying is that they just cannot observe this, so they believe that it must have always been that way. But Peter has something to say about this in verse five. He says, for when they maintain this, it escapes their notice that by the word of God, the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and by water, through which the world at that time was destroyed, being flooded with water. You see, Peter will use the creation of all things by God and the destruction of all things by the flood that God sent to disprove their position that all things continue in the same way. Now, let me explain a little bit because it may be a little confusing there. If you go to Genesis 1-2, it shouldn't be too hard to find. Genesis 1-2. I think that'll help you to understand this. Where he says the earth was formed out of water, you might wonder about that. Well, Genesis 1-2 says this. The earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the what? The waters. And so I believe that's what he's speaking about here. Now, there are some people that would want to go back and uh, teach on the gap theory and all that. And there's, you know, there's a lot to be said about that, but we don't have time for that tonight. But I think what he's talking about here is the earth was formed out of the waters as the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. And then he says, by water, meaning the flood, the earth as it was, was destroyed and then reformed by God. Now, notice that Peter says here it escapes their notice. I think he's being a little sarcastic here. I think he's saying it's a willful ignorance because even then, even then, every culture had some form of a story about a worldwide epidemic flood. They knew there was a flood. They knew that there was a cataclysmic event that changed everything. The entire earth, the world did not just keep going as it was. Now, evolutionists do not like that fact. And that's why they will do and work all kinds of ways to try and destroy the idea that there was a worldwide flood. Most of them believe, oh, there was a localized flood. Okay, which locality was it at? Pick one. I think deep in their heart, they know the answer to this. And, and in fact, the reason they do because, is because even some of the things that they have said for years and years, they now are backtracking on. You see, the idea of a flood explains so many things and gives so many answers to why are things like they are today? Like, why can they find a fish fossil all the way 7,000 feet on a mountaintop. The, great, the Grand Canyon is a great example. You know, for years they talked about the Colorado River is, you know, the reason that we have the Grand Canyon. It formed the Grand Canyon over billions and billions and billions and billions of years. How many of you have been to the Grand Canyon and looked at the Colorado River? I mean, in most places it's like what? Five feet deep? Give me a break. And most evolutionists 
even today, they don't believe that. They may still say it, but they don't believe it. And in fact, there is a Christian or geologist who has spent years down there now that um, gives classes right there so the kids can go and, and he can just point it all out to them and disprove this ridiculous theory that this happened over years and years. It doesn't matter how many years you give it. It's not gonna happen. And though we may not see right now a worldwide cataclysmic event that changes the whole environment the way the flood did, you know, we have seen major earthquakes, hurricanes, but especially volcano eruptions that can change the entire geologic nature of an area. Anybody seen Mount St. Helens region? If you go back and you look at the pictures, and my brother lived in Portland, Oregon, uh, and uh, he, he got hammered by all the ash that came from Mount St. Helens. And, and in fact, I was actually uh, pulling into his house the second time it erupted when it wasn't so bad. And I was looking at that and going, is there a fire over there? And he goes, oh no, <laughs> that's not what that is. Let me tell you what that is. The entire geology of that area was completely changed by this cataclysmic event. In fact, I remember, and I, I don't have all the details right, but I, I know that there was, um, there was a Christian uh, geologist who decided to play a little trick, and he took a piece of strata, and he, he took it to the guys and said, okay, I want you to determine how old this is. And they said, oh, this is billions and billions of years old. And he said, really, it just happened uh, six months ago at St. Helens, okay? Um, it changed the entire geological nature of that area. So the truth is the world does not just go on as it has from the beginning. And as we read in the book of Revelation, <clears throat> there are gonna be cataclysmic events such as the world has never seen before. Verse seven, he says, he says this, but by his word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. Now, I want you to look at this verse closely with me because it's packed full of prophetic implication here. See, Peter's explaining why one might think that things don't change. But he assures us that they have and he will again. He's saying, you know, it looks the same because of this. By his word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved, reserved. Now, when he's talking about the heavens here, by the way, he's not talking about the abode of, of God. He's talking about the atmosphere, the heaven that we see, the sky, the atmosphere. And he says the earth remains the same strictly because it's being reserved for a fiery judgment. That's why it looks the same to you. And along with that judgment, comes the destruction of ungodly men. And it's interesting that this word reserved here is the same Greek word that was used for the laying up of treasures that Jesus spoke about in Matthew. Remember when he said, do not lay up treasures on earth that will just be destroyed? He said, lay treasures up in heaven. It's the same Greek word, reserve treasures in heaven. But these ungodly men, instead of storing up Treasures in heaven are storing up wrath for themselves. Romans 2.5 says it this way. He says, because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and revelation of righteousness. 
Hey folks, this is Pastor Michael. I just want to share my heart for a second. We have a website called walkintruth.com and we've put up a store and we're adding more and more products to it. But one of the reasons I want to get you to that store is that you can partner with us in the ministry. You know, radio airtime costs money and we want to reach more people. If you're being blessed by this ministry, one of the ways that you can partner with us is to go to the website and purchase a product. You can also purchase my book on The Armor of God. I'll get you a signed copy and whatever you give to the ministry will go directly to paying for radio airtime. That's one way you can partner with us. You can help us reach more people like you and you can partner with us in the gospel ministry. It's a great thing. We appreciate you. We love you. Pray for us. We'll keep praying for you. Reach out to us today through the store at walkintruth.com. That's walkintruth.com. God bless you. These ungodly men, instead of storing up treasures in heaven, are storing up wrath for themselves. Romans 2.5 says it this way. It says, because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and revelation of, righteous, of the righteous judgment of God. So we learn here that this world, the world that we live in now, and we should always remember this, is a temporary world. It's a temporary world. It will not last forever. It, we're in a holding pattern, so to speak, right now. It will not continue as it always has. Luke 21.33 says, heaven and earth will pass away. Now he adds to that, what won't pass away? God's word. He says, my words will not pass away, but heaven and earth will pass away. And if you look down, we'll sneak a peek here, look down at verse 10 of this chapter. It says, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed. Think about that, the elements. Remember when you took your, your uh, chemistry class and you learned the elements? The elements, the little subatomic particles, they're gonna be destroyed. And what are they gonna be destroyed with? Intense heat. And the earth and its works will be burned up. Now we gotta look at it this way. God's prophetic word so far has been proven to be 100% accurate. Every prophecy of the first coming of the Messiah was fulfilled to the T, so we can be guaranteed that every single prophecy concerning the second coming will be 100% accurate as well. So now Peter, and I love this, now he's gonna bring up another fact that escapes the notice of the scoffers. Look at verse eight. He says, but do not let this one fact escape your notice. He's saying, look, the scoffers let this all escape their notice, but don't you guys, don't you let this fact escape your notice. Beloved, that the, with the Lord one day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like one day. What Peter's trying to do here is he's giving you an explanation for those who, who say, you know, the early church looked for a soon return of Jesus, but he didn't come back. Therefore, God's word is unreliable. Well, Peter's 
saying, no, 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 that's not true. In fact, what he's doing here, and you may not have known this because this, this verse is taken out of context a lot, and you may not have known this, but Peter is actually paraphrasing Psalm 90, verse 4. You can turn there if you want, but I'll read it to you. It's Psalm 90, verse 4, and listen to the way the psalmist puts it. He says, For a thousand years in your sight are like yesterday when it passes, or as a watch in the night. So Peter is actually paraphrasing that and saying, for the Lord, one day is like a thousand years. And look, this is simply an expression to teach us that God is outside of time. All time is present to him. You know, God never looks at a clock and says, oh, quitting time. Aren't you glad for that? Aren't you glad that there's no clock that says quitting time for God, that he's available 24-7? All time is present time to him. This, this term, this phrase, is not to be taken literally as though one day actually equals 1,000 years. There are some people that have tried to do that. And, and I will say there is some thought of the notion of you know, there's a lot of patterns in the Bible of six and one. We talked about them on Sunday, didn't we? Six and one, six days you work, one day you rest. There's also some patterns of two plus one. And there are a lot of people that, that feel strongly that, you know, the, the thousand years, we're at 2,000, maybe it's the 3,000. That's a waste of time. Sorry. That's a waste of time. This is a simile. It's to give us the idea that God doesn't have a time clock in the way that we think of one. But some have even used this to say this, and like I said, they take it out of context and they've used it to diminish the idea of a literal millennial kingdom. They say, well, you know, look, a day's a thousand years, so maybe God didn't really mean a thousand years there. And others have used it to, to, to say, well, there aren't really seven literal days of creation. Look, the Bible says a day's like a thousand years. Well, even if that was true, you're only talking about 7,000 years, not billions of years like they want to have, okay? And that's not true. The Bible's very specific in Genesis about days, and certainly when it comes to the millennium, if you go to Revelation 2 and look at verses 1 through 6, uh, you'll see that there's clear evidence. Is that 2? I might have I missed one. It might have been 12. Gives clear evidence of a literal 1,000-year reign. Just read that, and you'll see that we're not talking about a simile here, a metaphor. It's literally a 1,000-year reign of Christ with his church on the earth before the earth is destroyed. So what we can take away from this is, is the church age, this time that we live in right now, you know, in God's economy, it's been like a couple of days. So if you really want to get somebody that says, ah, oh, you know, 2,000 years, the church said Jesus is coming back and... He's not coming back, and you go, well, it really hasn't been 2,000 years. It's been a couple of days, so we can wait a little longer. I think it's okay. Now, look, we know that God has a reason and a purpose in everything he does. So Peter's going to tell us, then, why is it that the day of the Lord hasn't yet come? Why is it? Now, remember, we're only talking here about 30 years after, after Jesus had left the earth. But he says in verse 9, The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, 
but for all to come to repentance. You see, God's purpose in waiting is just to give people time. Even these people who are scoffers and mockers, he's giving them time to repent, to turn to him, and to come into relationship with him. And you know, I, I don't know about you, but I'm always amazed at how God desires that everyone would come to him, even those who scoff and mock and are in disbelief. You know, I think of those who, who openly mocked him during the trial and, and while Jesus was on the cross, and yet his desire was for each one of them to come to repentance and to turn to him. And, and of course, we can look at people like that, but we have to remember we were the same. We may not have stood there and openly mocked him or spit on him like they did during that time period, but look, our, our actions, our rebellion against him for however long it was in your life, our actions speak just as loud as those words did. But remember that he was patient with us as well. And aren't we glad that the Lord did not return before we came to repentance? Aren't we glad? Well, the last verse here, and I wasn't even gonna cover this, so Pastor Michael probably be mad. This was gonna be his verse. <laughs> but we already read it, so let's go through it. Verse 10, he says, and I want you to look closely here because there are four wills that you're gonna see in this verse. He says, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat, both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. So you see, there's four wills in there, and that means that these things will absolutely take place in the future. They will happen. And all of this is what leads us to this idea of why it's so important for us to, to have a prophetic worldview. Because you see, knowing that these things are going to happen, we, we can't afford to get caught up in this world, the world that we're just passing through. You know, I think about Billy Graham passing on this week and how many things there were posted about him and how many times it was posted that Billy Graham would, would say, look, I don't live here, I'm just passing through. He, along with Pastor Chuck Smith, both said, hey, you know, there's gonna be rumors that I'm dead. Don't believe it. I just changed the dress. I just moved. We can't afford to get caught up. Knowing what we know, we can't get, afford to get caught up. Or we also can't afford to get too comfortable in our circumstance. And I think we can all be guilty of that. Even us believers who, who we know Jesus is coming back. But it's easy to get comfortable, isn't it? It's easy to just think that, Okay, yeah, I know he's coming back, but I still have to deal with all this right now. And that's true, we do, but I think a prophetic worldview will help us to deal correctly with what we have to deal with. Now, look, Peter's gonna finish this letter by giving some real practical applications, and Pastor Michael will teach on that next time, but I just have some thoughts on why I think this is so important, what I think is important. And they're, they're really my thoughts. You can take them or leave them if you want. I won't be offended. Um, but I think these are things that, that I feel like God has spoken to me as I've looked at this particular passage and, and really just been looking at the church in these past, say, uh, five years or so. Because I see a lot of things, and I spent a lot of time 
looking at what's going on in the church, especially in America. I think one of the important things is having a prophetic worldview balances our Christian worldview. I think if, if we don't think about what God has promised concerning our future, sometimes it can skew how we look at the present. You know, especially when we start thinking about, and I don't know about you, but, you know, I read a lot of the news, probably more than I should. And, you know, to be honest, when you see the evil that goes on, I mean, every single day you, you read these things and you just go, how could that happen? It's so horrible. And I think it's easy to get caught up in that. And I think we could really get depressed without a prophetic worldview, without understanding what will happen. You know, sometimes Jeremiah, who was called the weeping prophet, you know, I relate to that. Um, and sometimes David felt this way. Jeremiah 12, one says, righteous are you, O Lord, that I would plead my case with you. Indeed, I would discuss matters of justice with you. Why has the way of the wicked prospered? Why are all those who deal in treachery at ease? You ever felt that way? Looking at what's going on? Sure. But look, if we know the end of godless men, we just read what the end of godless men is. We don't have to worry that evil's gonna prevail. It's not going to. So I think it balances out our Christian worldview. The second thing I think is that Though we might disagree on the timing of certain events, you know, and especially the rapture. I don't know why we get so worked up about this. Look, um, I, I freely admit to you, I have a different position than Pastor Michael does. We have a lot of fun discussing it. He's always trying to convince me. I'm always trying to convince him. I don't think it'll happen. Neither one of us is going to budge on this. But it's okay. It's okay. Those things are not so important. But there are certain things concerning correct um, interpretation of prophecy that really are. And I think the, the, the first one is we need to have a sure knowledge that Jesus will return just as he said he would. Even if we disagree on timing, we must agree that Jesus will return. Do you realize there are people who call themselves Christians walking around today that don't think Jesus is going to return? They think this is it. This is the kingdom. Wow. God, I, I feel gypped if this is it. I, I, this is not what I read about. But there are people who, who believe that, who see it that way. We have a sure knowledge that Jesus is going to return because he said he would. And that sure knowledge should bring us hope every day of our life. Every time that you can get really down on something, remember one of two things. Either you're going to go be with Jesus because of your mortality, or he's going to come and take you to be with him. Hey, folks, I'm excited to tell you about another way that you can connect with Walk in Truth. Download the Radio Scribe app and search for Walk in Truth. There you'll find a lot of cool resources. You'll be able to listen to messages. You can access devotionals. And you can partner with Walk in Truth and help us reach more people. Download the Radio Scribe app, search for Walk in Truth, and find a lot of cool resources there. I know it'll be a blessing to you. God bless you. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth. Pastor Michael would love to hear from you. You can write him when you visit walkintruth.com.